0: What's up, everybody? My name is Steve Vanderwall, and I'm the host of Steve's Cannabis Show. And this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hashtag Hydro Inc., the number one consumer-rated family-owned hydroponic store in western New York. Hydroponics is the method of growing plants in a water-based solution. One of the biggest differences to note about hydroponics is that it doesn't use soil. Instead, you use a growing media such as perlite, rock wool, clay pellets, etc., What growing media you use will depend on which hydroponic system you decide to set up, whether that be ebb and flow, deep water culture, drip system, wicking, nutrient film tech, etc. Another difference about hydroponics is that it can be done in the smallest of spaces inside your home to allow you to grow all year round. So what can you grow on a hydroponics system? Well, in short terms, pretty much anything. Tomatoes, lettuce, eggplant, cucumber, pumpkin, strawberries, blueberries, basil, peppers, green onions, spinach, green beans, sweet potato, and so much more. And in legal states, hydroponics is a preferred method for growing the highest quality craft cannabis that money can buy. With over 11 years of growing experience, the team over at Hashtag Hydrowink are truly masters of their craft. They offer the highest quality products for the most reputable brands at affordable prices. Hashtag Hydro Inc. is located at 5236 Westridge Road, Suite 3A in Rochester, New York. Check them out at hashtag com, which I'll include in the podcast description, or call them at 585-488-GROW. That's 585-488-GROW. Tell them you heard this ad on Steve's Cannabis Show, and they'll knock 10% off your first order. Now, enjoy the show what's going on everybody welcome to another episode of steve's cannabis show i'm your host steve Andwal, and this week's episode is going to be a continuation of the last episode um, i had the chance to sit down and talk to uh, pearson crosby at length last week uh, a, he's a, a retired u.s marine um, a decorated marine who had really kind of last week we talked about his experience in the marine corps uh, kind of the things that he went to and then transitioning out, dealing with PTSD and injuries and the, you know, dealing with the, with the VA and the pharmaceutical regiment that comes with that and all the collateral damage that comes with that. And at times it got a bit dark and a bit down, uh, but I think every good story has an intense backstory. So I want to welcome back Pearson to the show this week. What's up, man? How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, I'm glad to have oh, you back. Thanks, for, um...
1: Thanks for having
0: me back. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad to have you back. We had a good episode, a lot of good feedback last week. Um, it was one of the first times I really got to sit down at length with somebody, uh, kind of unscripted, less interview, more storytelling, which I really liked. And uh, I think you and I probably could have sat down for six hours and kept that conversation going. So, you know, like I said, we had covered a lot of backstory last week. And really wanted, what I want to touch on this week is your experience as uh, a medical cannabis advocate in the veterans arena, along with you know your entrepreneurial endeavors uh, in the cannabis space. So kind of run me down. We ended the show last week uh, really talking about the recovery. You had locked yourself in a room for a month to take yourself off those uh, substances. And we're in the period of transition, transitioning back into normalcy. And uh, really into uh, kind of improving your, your advocacy in the veterans community. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, before, before I, uh, let's say I, right after I got out of the Marine Corps, I, I, I wasn't um, retired. I, uh, I got out with my, my, uh, uh, after the four years, so, but I, I got, I became a, totally disabled, uh, through the VA. So kind of, I, I still get, uh, government benefits on that, on that end. Um, so it's kind of, I get the same benefits that retirees get. So it's kind of the same thing. Not really though. But, um, so when I got out, I got, I got right into, uh, working with veterans or I got, I got pulled into, uh, a thing called the Marine Corps league. It's an organization with just Marines. It's a lot like the, the BFW, um, and it was my local, like my hometown's detachment. I mean, I had uh, from my my principal in junior high to uh, my uh, one of the uh, a couple chief chiefs of the poli- of police up in Northampton Township. And so I, had, I I was surrounded by some really um, good people, good Marines, good uh, community leaders, and they got me. Um, they got me to take the senior vice commandant uh, position for a couple of years, and we do a lot of we do a lot of stuff with the community there, and it really it showed me how much how, how much it's needed for somebody of my generation to really step up and try to reach out to um, to the veterans of my my era of the the GWAT the global war on terrorism because. Nobody really wants to step into, nobody wants to go on, it seemed like nobody wanted to go into, like, the VFWs, or their um, stereotypical walking into a smoky, dark room with a bunch of old people drinking. Um, uh, it wasn't too, um, I don't know, it's not too appealing to, to this 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 day and age, but it's some of the best conversations I ever have are with those guys. Uh, they're no different than us, only they got to see, they've seen a lot more. Um, so I started doing that and I was the senior vice commandant there for three years and I got to really know the ins and outs of working organized nonprofits and what they're really about. And I had some great, great people teaching me, mentoring me on that. And then, uh, so during that I was still getting, I was, uh, pretty heavy in, in the VA system. I was going to the, to the medical center in Philadelphia probably two to four times a week and then therapy, uh, at the vet centers in Bristol and then, uh, like physical therapy I was doing twice a week for about two years. So, um, I got into that, and I'm deteriorating the whole time I'm doing that because I'm getting more addicted to to the substances that I was being prescribed. I think I sent you a a, a list of my my prescriptions. Yeah,
0: it's exhausting.
1: Uh, yeah, I you know it would it would kill a lot of big game animals uh, and a few people at once. If you're not, if you don't have the tolerance for that stuff, you're, there's a few people that are going to die off. of that just daily dose of what okay. they do. Um, so, uh, I get, I, I, I get, uh, I'm going to fast forward to through, through recovery. Um, that, that hell. And, um, I still, I I realized that this is happening with so many more veterans. Like, and the way that I got off of it was completely against anything, any of the rhetoric that they, they give us, they tell us that. Oh, it's it's gonna the cannabis is gonna uh, have a bad reaction with with anything that we give you. It's not tested. We're not we're not sure how like this could be lethal. Blah blah blah. Like, yeah, right. Like, cannabis is gonna be lethal. Um, I don't think it's. I mean, it's it's killed as many people as a unicorn. Um, I think
0: the only way that a cannabis could kill you if it's like a hundred pound brick of it fell on your fucking head from like
1: thirty. Or you up. Just get to the point of like. Dying from your stomach exploding or something. Yeah, um, but you're never going to want to do that. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, uh, it, it, it's, it's pretty wild. The, the 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 stuff that people come up with when it comes to cannabis, and it's just going off of this ignorant, um, unwilling. The the, the the unwillingness to actually look at a look and do the research themselves. Um, because and it's like anything like logos or slogans, slogans are, are what's dominating. Like, like all social media right now, all, all beliefs. Like you have a, a good one liner that people can repost. You got all the power in the world um and especially like, your brain on drugs this is your this is your brain on pot you know, you know like it's like people melting into the couches like some of the most some of the most um what is it so sorry i get frustrated with this shit really like i can't believe i'm still fighting for this because of how ridiculous it is um but like the most accomplished people in the world like i know JFK was smoking in the White House because he had some uh, underlying health issues. Uh, uh, you know, so many people that just like that benefit from cannabis that aren't the stereotypical stoner. I don't know many stoners that that uh, that are fit that description. Maybe I just don't see them. I don't hang out with them. or Maybe they're playing video games in their mom's basement, but. They're not. They're not really hurting society. So that's my rant. There, but um, sorry. So the I realized that cannabis was helped me. I knew it wasn't dangerous. I knew I could stop it at any time. I knew it was something that helped me uh, get through the, these deadly withdrawal symptoms from specifically the benzodiazepine. Um, which benzodiazepine you, you have a. If you're addicted enough, you have a risk of death uh, from the from from the withdrawal from it because your your body, the receptors that it, that it hits, it can put you into seizures. Um, only that and alcohol are the uh, things that could potentially kill you from sustaining from when you are um, heavily addicted to it. Um, and uh, I don't even get into alcohol, you know, um, but. Uh, So I realized that there's so many, there's so the same story over and over and over again. So I started being vocal about it. I mean, it took me a little while because after I got off of these things, I was I could hardly put sentences together. Like I was so messed up from from all the the little tweaks in the SSRIs or the um, not having. They're not, not even like thinking that same way—the the, the addict mentality, which is you wake up, you want to get high, whether or not it's prescribed or not. You're trying to you're trying to either disconnect from the world, um, get away from the pain, trying to ail those symptoms that those prescription pills were uh, originally intended for, but now it's a way of life and. Um, if we continue to just jump to that, um, which we're doing, we jump to these dangerous addictive drugs. Um, we're going to continue to see this ridiculous amount of suicides that we do on a daily basis with with uh, our, our brothers and sisters in arms, and it, it it's a tragedy. It's we it, I I look at the suicides from combat veterans now maybe. One or two or three of them doesn't have to do with combat that the commit suicide, but majority of them do. We we go through extreme processing to get into the military. You can't get in the military if you have a history of severe depression. You can't go, get in the mil- military if you have pretty much like, pretty much any type of behavioral health element, uh, issue. You're not getting in the military. I mean, maybe the army will take you, but you know, it's the army. That's a joke. Um, uh, but like, you can't get in the you can't get in the Marine Corps with flat feet. The first thing they do when they when they uh, take you down to boot camp, <clears throat> you get off the plane, you meet the drones you meet one of the processing drone instructors, and they bark at you into a line, and you step on a box with a mirror underneath it, and they look to see if you have flat feet. And if you don't, you're going to boot camp. But if you do, uh, some recruiters or some uh, some military processing centers getting chewed out. But or you're going to the army.
0: If you got flat feet, you're going to the army.
1: <laughs> army. <I'm>, i <laughs> take them. I uh, take flat feet. Um, you know, cause they're never standing up. They're always sitting down. Same thing with the Air Force. Uh, but the Air Force, the Marine, the Marine Corps needs someone to look up to, so that's why we have the Air Force. <laughs> Apparently, Space Force is supposed to be good too, um, yeah. But yeah, uh, uh, we're allowed to make fun of each other. I think. I, think I don't know. I might get, uh, the Marine Corps might get canceled because of that. Um, so, so sorry, I'm throwing in all this shit. Uh, so yeah, I see. I see the issue with it all, um, and that's as like, simple as that. Like we weren't, we weren't messed up prior to going to the military. And then when we get out of the military, because of the shit that we we swore that we'd do, um, that we'd, we'd uh, go as far as uh, giving our life in the defense of this country and the Constitution of the United States, and we come back to just being zombified. Like, literally, like my buddy the other day, he just moved up to Alaska. He's never been on um, SSRIs. But I, he, he mentioned that he's feeling a little depressed, a little longer. Like, obviously, he just moved from fucking from Hawaii to Alaska right before it gets cold. Like, of course you're gonna be a little depressed. Like, what were you thinking? Like, come here when like it's bright and sunny out, and and the sun doesn't go down, and it's mid seventies for three months straight. You know. Um, but I'm glad that he's here. He's. Uh, I, I'm, I always need help up here, and he's he's a great he's a great person to help out with uh, uh, veteran stuff. So we over the time, I, I, well, like I said, I, I there were so many people that were getting the same things handed to them, and like him, he thirty minute interview, he got or thirty minute uh, appointment. He got two different types of SSRIs. Uh, one that's more of a sleeping pill, and the other was like a, uh, a straight-up uh, antidepressant. And it was thirty minutes. Thirty minutes, sit down. That's it's crazy. Um, and that's stuff he's supposed to be on for the rest of his life. This doctor felt it necessary to prescribe him to uh, uh, serotonin, uh, selective serotonin uptake inhibitor, a uh, reuptake inhibitor within 30 minutes of meeting him that he has to take for the rest of his life. If he gets on, if he gets on it, if he doesn't like, if he doesn't do it for the rest of his life, or he, he let's say he does it for a year. There are severe withdrawal symptoms from that. His body, his body's going to try to get his, his brain to, uh, or his brain's going to try to readjust to the, the chemicals to where they see fit. Whereas the, the selective, uh, serotonin reuptake, it changes it to try to level some stuff off the, you really—you can't tell in 30 minutes, you know, and that's just their go-to. It's like, oh, well, you said depression, and you, let's say you said, I can't sleep much. Oh, well, here's some sleeping pills that, you know, you're not going to be able to wake up very well in the morning anymore. You'll probably sleep for 12 hours a night for the next two months uh, until you get used to it, and then we'll just, you know, prescribe you more. Uh, And the serotonin serotonin reuptake inhibitor, you know, uh, make sure that you stay with the VA for the rest of your life because, you you know, you need these now for the rest of your life if you start taking this bottle, um, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's, it's like throwing a tourniquet on a, a, a paper cut. Um, now, you know the paper cut hurts, but it doesn't take a tourniquet to stop it from ble- bleeding. You t- that finger is going to come off in four hours if you don't take that tourniquet off. Um, and that's what they go to. They, they, it's a, it's, it's just like combat medic, uh, medical treat, uh, 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 trauma treatment. Uh, it's, we're taught to throw the tourniquet on first. Uh, if You see bleeding, throw the tourniquet on. Make sure you put a T and the time on uh, on the dude's forehead with his own blood and get him out of there. Um, the time is uh, the T is for the tourniquet. The time is because you do have four hours before that limb. Will never work again and has to be amputated. Um, Whereas regular, like United States medical procedures, you got a paper cut, clean it out, put a band aid on it. Um, But the VA wants to jump jump into the tourniquet phase. Like, you're literally condemning a person, a, a young person, to life with prescriptions. By a thirty-minute eval, and it's terrible. It is it that and and that thirty minutes. Who knows what they talk about? How how much can you know somebody in thirty minutes when you just met them and you're about to alter their life? Um, and when that being said, if there's if they have suicidal ideations, if they are suicidal in the least, maybe not that day, and they say, "No, I'm not suicidal." Those pills. Bring a, a higher risk of suicide during the time before it makes you a zombie. I mean, most of the, most people tell me that when they when they started really getting into the, the regular dosage of that stuff, and they started uh, taking the stuff, where they've noticed that it like they were leveling out. They they say they feel like they're they it's an out of body experience the entire time. They feel like they're seeing themselves. They're walking behind themselves. Um, looking over their heads instead of actually being inside their own minds, and that's, I mean, for a couple hours, that probably was probably a cool feeling, but um, not all the time, you know. Um, so the I, I realized that I had to I had to really push out my my story because I went through the ringer with all that I went through. All of all the different all the different medications, every all the treatment, the polytrauma, the, the um, occupational therapy, the group therapy, the individual therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, psychoanalysis. Um, I don't see the ketamine test uh, research, um, but I was just getting clean, so I wasn't about to start taking tranquilizers. Um, so, um, it was a decision that I knew I had to make because I can't just sit by and why and just watch people just die. Like they're literally. And back to my what I consider suicide. Suicide another enemy win. That's another KIA from the from the war on terror. I mean, if we weren't at war with this mysterious enemy that, I mean, they're not wearing uniforms, obviously, but they're not a government. They're not, I mean, ISIS pretty much took over a bunch of shit, but um, they're just factions. And they, yeah, maybe they have the ability to get on a plane and drive, and fly it into uh, a building,
0: but they don't have
1: ICBMs, they don't have the, they don't have, a military force that could even defeat one one of our new F 35s could take out an entire fleet of of the next best country's um, air force. Like there, no other country has has generation five uh, aircraft. Uh, it's like it's like a professional basketball player playing against a, a, a first grader. Um, for real, like I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous. And Russia was supposed to get some, but uh, the company that was making them kind of went bankrupt or some shit. So,
0: is the U.S. Um, military really that far advanced beyond everybody else?
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, absolutely. We, and we, I guess we we don't like we don't look at it that way because oh, It's just like people we like. <laughs> Um, the wars that we've been fighting are not regular wars. These are wars that we have been brought into guerrilla warfare, which we haven't, we don't, uh, we go against every law in the, war, uh, the art of war when we go and engage these these militias and enemy fighting forces. and are not forces. They're, they're pockets of, uh, uh, uh there's Muslim extremists that hate people because they just are. They hate us because we um, we don't believe in the Quran, we don't believe in Prophet Muhammad, and that we allow our women to not have to wear uh, their, everything covered except for their eyes. And they, most of the time, they prefer us to them to have a veil over their eyes because. Uh, they're too distracting to men, you know. We, we can't we can't handle ourselves. And we can't be we can't be blamed for what we do if, uh, if we see their you know wrists. And they truly believe that shit. Um, you have the, the Shiism, uh, which is uh, lack of a better words, a, a religion of protest. They are they're truly there to protest and and get and have types uh certain uh certain belief, like uh, so it's it's hard to it's hard to talk about uh islam because a- any any imam or any sheik that you talk to um they are so their purpose for them are to interpret the quran and the religious uh, Quran's the only book, um, in their own way. So their own personal beliefs. So then they have their followers, and they fill their followers up with the way that they interpreted it. All right. So you can have, and you see, you, can, you see it from priest to priest every once in a while too. But it's the that priesthood is a, a collection that people have to go through a specific Catholic. Uh, um, uh, doctrine, you know. But with uh, with Shiism or with the Muslim religion, you, every every individual I'm in every sheikh it goes up their their belief their their interpretation of the, the text. So it's there's one there's like uh, Shiism is the second largest uh, Muslim uh group uh, that stems from the Quran, and uh, they they are they protest everything pretty much. If it doesn't, if it isn't verbatim with their what they want to hear, it's protested against. And why was I going over shiism? Oh, yes, because there are all these little factions that they hate each other. If, if you're not part, us versus them, and if, if you're not part of my little group, um, we hate you. Because you don't believe in this, like little off uh, this little belief that we have, which sometimes can be a big belief. But if you're a Muslim, you believe in you believe in Muhammad. But then there's so many little you believe Muhammad was the uh, was the prophet. But I'm going off on a tangent. The the wars that we fight are not sustainable by the conventional military. Um, a doctrine: the, the way that the way that a a government fights against a, 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 one military force fights against another military force. The conventional aspect of it, where um where you we're we're following the Geneva Convention, we're we're in uniforms. There's uh, there's um, laid plans on uh, occupying or after after. Um, the war, if we win it or lose it, uh, it there's uh, there's forces. It's force on force, and people aren't hiding who they are. You know, um, now there are those shadow stuff, but conventional warfare is up uh, one against another. Where, where guerrilla warfare is there's somebody hiding in in. Uh, in plain clothes, just waiting to press a button when somebody drives by, and that's it's it's impossible to stamp out unless you stamp out every single one, because then you're fighting are you don't have people in uniform that uh, you have people that are blending in with 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 the civilian populace, and they react they they act on. Uh, they, they they attack when they want to on their own terms, and they can wait and wait and wait. And that's what,
0: and that's what we have to do.
1: We can't just go out there and slaughter an entire entire village because we hear that there's one person and in, in the uh, out of the, the thousands that are that's working with Al Qaeda or the Mujahideen. Um, so it makes it difficult. And then if we kill the wrong person, we have their family is now in, insurgents. You know, it's. Uh, it, it, it's impossible to win. And it's stupid that we went over there to fight uh, an enemy like that. Now, I think it'd be a lot better if we went and supported the local government yeah. without mass uh, um, uh, troop buildups. But it is what it is. We got into it. And yeah. So.
0: Now you're fighting these very unconventional wars. And at some point, it's like almost like why are we here again? And then you come back to try to transition into normalcy and you get put into this whole other mental war through, oh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's crazy. I can't imagine, to be honest.
1: Well, and it's frustrating. Like, um, it, we, those of us who is September 11th, just, just two days ago, three days ago. Um, and like, I, I said, I, I threw up a post on social media about oh, 19 years ago. Um, the next year was a um, was a presidential election along with uh, I think Senate a senatorial election. Also, the guys who decided to join after 9/11 we weren't we weren't old enough to vote on it. Um, we believed. I truly believe my my country knew what was best for us. That there's no way they would just go in emotionally just to go kill somebody to kill somebody or get get revenge on their neighbor because the person across the street um, did something bad to them. But that's what we did. It, it's like it's like punching your neighbor because a coworker said something bad to you that day. Um, and that was it. We, we, we went over, or we, we joined, swore, swore our lives away, and we knew when we came back, like, if we came back, either our family would be taken care of if we didn't come back. Like, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let my family like, starve to death if, if I got killed defending our country or if I got injured, to the point of you know, like like me like I hey, well I got I got all my all my fingers and toes, um, but I, I I when I got back I had some terrible times. Even now like I I have no, like, there is no possible way I would be able to maintain a regular job. Like no way like I just I have these I have episodes that have, that last for weeks on end where I am just in a depressed mood. I am not doing shit. I have no idea why, how Megan can even live with me, but she does. Uh, which is crazy. Uh, it's crazy to me. She doesn't think it's that crazy, but she she loves me for some reason. Do
0: you, so, do you find that it's, do you find that, you know, it's kind of hard to, I, I often feel the same way. Obviously I've never been through what you've been through, but like everybody goes through those, those, you know, mental bouts, especially when you start to be in business for yourself. Do you think that like, it's made it a lot easier now that you're in business for yourself to start to, you know, to deal with these mental ups and downs?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, because I can, because I know that the my uh, decisions in my head. If I want to grow the business and make sure make stuff, okay, make stuff happen and grow, I I have a decision to do that. Whereas, if like I'm like, yo, you're fucked up right now. Like, just fucking maintain. Like, do what you need to do. Get through it because uh, if I don't calm down, settle myself and like, especially with what, what I've been doing, like one bad, one incident, one, one bad incident. I mean, they're going like, it could potentially be jail or, um, loss of contracts. Um, and these people, and these companies are seriously, um, relying on what, what, what services we bring to feed their family and you know, pay their employees. And, um, and that, and that was one of the reasons I, I the first company, my, my, transport company, I stepped, I stepped away from after, like, I had a perfect record, right? I, don't, I don't know anybody that, I mean, nobody else has really, um, done this, uh, the secure transport for cannabis business to business like I did. Yeah, I want to hear uh, more about that. That's fucking interesting. Yeah. Um, So yeah. So I I got. uh, We'll 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 finish up with this. uh, The the military and the um, advocacy work. So yeah. Then I was doing. I I, I focused on cannabis because it helped me. I knew it was was affecting a lot of people, and I took took no shame in telling people what the hell I was doing, what I went through, and uh, I actually had a uh, uh, a journalist follow me throughout my. My uh, rehabilitation well, my my detox for about a month, and it was actually a newspaper article in um, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer. It was um, uh, the enemy within. Uh, yeah, so so yeah, that, that pretty much spells out a lot of stuff that I went through, and then and then I started working on advocacy. I was still working with the nonprofits and um, just started focusing on cannabis because it was something that it seemed so. So achievable at the time, at the, not not really at the time, but it was. It's just something that like, okay, if you have a half a brain, or you are any person that, that can actually read or listen or see, it should be legal. You should get that chance to. You should, the doctor should be like, oh well, maybe I shouldn't just prescribe them this dangerous addictive drug that they're going to be on for the rest of their life. Maybe maybe a uh, pop brownie might be, you know, might help him get through the surgery, uh, the pain after the surgery, or may let him sleep better.
0: Well, dude, these doctors, you don't... There's no medical schools that are teaching... I mean, you're not learning about the endocannabinoid system in middle school. Like, think about We start learning about the human body in 7th and 8th grade, right? Circulatory system, respiratory system, you know, nervous system. There's no endocannabinoid system. You're not learning about ECS or cannabinoids or any of that shit in, in medical school. So, like... I'll, you know, it's kind of scary that now, you know, people go to doctors for medical advice. I have tons of people that reach out. Oh, I want to take cannabis. It's working really well, but my doctor is very much against it. Oh, let me guess, because yeah. he doesn't, he or she doesn't know anything about it. At what point are we going to start seeing this cannabis education inside of an academic curriculum? You know? I oh. don't oh,
1: know. I can still hear you. Oh. Sorry, uh, just lost second. Um. So yeah, the it's, I don't blame the doctors at all—not one bit. I blame the people that aren't doctors that make the rules. Yeah, like like these these people are literally telling us that oh no, this stuff is too dangerous for you. But there's no research, so how do you know it's too dangerous? Um, we could literally. There's so many people that could be growing their own magic. Literally putting a a seed in the ground and that's the extent of it. And then three months later, yeah, there's like, if you want really high grade cannabis, like, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to work for it. Um, but it is as simple as putting a seed in the ground and your, your medicine will pop up. Um, no different than putting it, you can put it right next to your, your tomatoes and your broccoli, you know, like in your, in your garden. um, but, like, like, think about it, like, there are so many, there's so many, I'm not going to go into that right now, but, um, yeah, so, there are none, but there is one, there, there, we have one federal site that you're allowed to grow cannabis on, that's the University of uh, Mississippi, and it is, it is, it's all grown to, to spec, you know, but it's harvested, Like uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how how I can compare this to. They take the entire plant and grind it up all at once. Um, Leaves and
0: stems and everything.
1: So, so if you're listening, it's like taking you grow beautiful a beautiful tomato plant. You cut it at the bottom of stem and you throw it in a in a. Throw it all and in a salad and, 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 and a ninja, you know, and just blend it all up, and then you tell me how that tastes or how, how good it is, you know.
0: Well, that's what's so crazy It's like a lot of yeah because University of Mississippi is like the only DEA registered facility that's allowed to grow cannabis. Yeah,
1: we have it. We have a. There was a research study done. I I, I don't think I can tell you much about it right now, but I am we I am in discussion with the the, science, the researcher and. Um uh, I'll tell you a little bit. Um they uh, so they had obviously with any research uh a study um they have the uh, uh placebo group and they have the, the, the actual group and then they have the um the actual group that's using the substance and then a uh a baseline. So you got baseline which are the people that aren't using the cannabis? They're doing they're doing everything that they're doing, just not using the substance. Yeah. Then you got the people actually using the substance and doing everything that the the, uh, the baseline is doing, and then you have the placebo group that is doing everything except only they're getting fake weed, you know. Yeah. So the, the the way that they the one of the benefits of of the study was that after after each week, they bring back the, both the placebo and, the, and, the, um, and the, the cannabis group would bring back their, the, the medicine, and, the, 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 the material, and they'd weigh it and document it. And at the end of the study, they said, we'll, we'll give you whatever you have left over. Like, so will, that's one of the benefits. You get some pre-weed out of it too that you don't have to bring back. Nobody took it. Not one, not one patient, not one uh, volunteer took the weed. Like I, I'm like sitting there, like I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, hey, this shit must be really bad for a bunch of people. That like, yeah, maybe, maybe one of the criteria was you you never been able to smoke weed before in your life to be able to do the research study. Like the, the thing was for PTSD, so you had to have PTSD, and there's a bunch of to have, it, to have the research be peer reviewed and be accepted there are a lot of criteria that you have to meet in order for it to be a legitimate research study and um it, it did not, it's not it's not what we get as medical patients um, if we're doing stuff like that and the, the guard, they they refuse to Allow um, other studies um, with with anything other than a federally legal uh, process, which the pro- like they've been begging. Like uh, Dr. Sue Sicily has been jumping through hoops trying to figure out a way to do this, and we finally got got in touch with each other like, with this initiative group that I had. Uh, that me and a couple people uh, have started recently to really combat the. The craziness that is surrounding cannabis. Um, so the research is being hindered terribly. We're not able to even, like, we're not even able to to use what people are using as tested medical patients in 26, 30 states. Um, it doesn't even compare. It, it's, it's, <sighs> It reminds
0: me of have you ever seen that uh it's like from nineteen seventy seven, that high times issue where they came out with like all it was like the fifteen best strains and it just all looks like this disgusting ditch weed. I'll have to send it to you. But that's what yeah. it reminds me a lot of. Like are these uh, are places like University of Mississippi, are they, you know say they harvest it and everything, are they drying and curing in the proper parameters? Are they trimming it? Like, what genetics are they growing? Are they heat drying it? Like, I would have a hard time believing that a university like that is taking all the measures that you need to essentially preserve a true full spectrum plant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, even all the studies that we do have that have come, you know, from the, from the federal, you know, f- research side of things, how credible are they considering the product is subpar?
1: Well, that's that's so we they are suing the DEA and DOJ because of that um, right now because it's, the, the study is coming out in a journal soon and it obviously didn't it didn't come out in the in the way that we that, that, my that we we would expect. Um, so I wish I, I wish I would know what I can and can't talk about, but uh, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. But we are I'm trying. I like to the point where I might try to use my facility up here as a research study, um, because the state of Alaska is is legal recreational, and we don't have a medical program that is um, to speak of really. Our medical program is. If you go to a doctor and they say, yeah, you could probably benefit from cannabis, you and they write this little little chip, you can now grow twenty six plants instead of six plants. Yeah. And I think they just changed it up a little bit with um, with the the rules on like caregiving, like where if, if Megan would be able to grow thirty plants because I get like the 26 the twenty four or twenty six plants, um, would be under my medical thing, and she gets six as an adult. So, um, it, it, there's really nothing up here. But we are very uh, we're, we can we can change the rules up here really easily compared to the rest of the rest of the United States. We have voter initiatives. We have very rational. Um, Politicians, I mean, uh, in in that aspect, with the cannabis laws and stuff like that, like personal, like the libertarian mindset of don't mess with me, I won't mess with you. Don't do stuff that's going to hurt somebody else, and we will we'll be cool. You know, like you would like, in New York. <laughs> uh, I know, I
0: know. Um, so. Everything is an absolute bureaucratic nightmare here. I mean, we don't have, you know, we're arguably, and I say this in very loose quotes, one of the most progressive democratic states in the country, we don't have ballot initiatives. You know, if if, if legalization was put on the ballot, it would have been legalized three years ago. And now we got states like Montana, um, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Jersey, all these other states that are going on the ballot are going to be, you know, put into, uh, they're going to be voted on in November. We're gonna get Montana and Arizona are very likely to have legal as adult use legalization before New York. That's fucking pitiful, and it's because everything up here is a legislative headache. Especially for, you know from a grassroots perspective, you got to meet with a hundred different junior staffers before you even want have a meeting with a Senate. You got to make phone call after phone call, and even with a fully Democratic controlled you know government, Democratic Governor, Democratic Senate, Democratic House, we can't get. A cannabis bill passed, and it's just like, you know, you start well, you yeah. start to lose I, faith in the in the movement after a while, just because it's like, it's just become yeah, so impossible.
1: Absolutely, man! It is it it is the most. <clears throat> and I'm 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 glad that I'm so damn stubborn because I would I would have uh, gave up on it as soon as I moved to Alaska because. I get. I mean, nobody's fucking me. Nobody's messing with me in Alaska. Nobody's messing with anybody in Alaska. Like there was a there a newspaper article the other day that I, I walked in on. and I saw that was um uh it it was titled, law enforcement must have warrant for surveillance, right? And it was uh the police um uh sorry. the police did a. Uh, surveillance on a person's house um, with a uh, with like a zoom camera, like a like a, a lens that like zoomed in a thousand fold, right? And they, they saw a bunch of pot plants in somebody's backyard, like thirty of them. Um, so they obtain a warrant to search the house, um, and they find 30, 30 pot plants, um, meth, uh, um, Obviously, uh, like uh, uh, all types, all types of uh, contraband, dude got off right. They got every charge dropped because of the right to right to privacy Act in Alaska. If you, um, the it it is the point of like unless there is a violent felony, like someone like you, like. You hear somebody screaming for their lives and gunshots going off inside of a house. Cops can't come in. Like they have to have, um, a warrant for they have to have a, a signed warrant by a judge for every step that it takes for them to be able to kick in a door. Unless it's like someone's life is in like mortal danger right now. <laughs> um, uh, and, it's, and, it, and it, I, I really appreciate Alaska for that. I mean, it's um, it's incredible. Like, it, it, like you're actually kind of free up here, you know. Like, um, like they that got that, all that investigation, all that taxpayers' money that went into uh, the time it takes to even just the manpower to do a surveillance on somebody's house. For a couple of plants, you know, and then and then all the money with the, the jury, the, the judge, the, all this shit, they, they could be utilizing it somewhere else, but they don't see it like solving like real
0: crime. It. That's why you look at the economic impact of cannabis. Not only do you have like the taxation and revenue side, which is uh, staggering to say the least, but think about the cost savings from a law enforcement perspective of like, you know, all the, you know, even if just the, the, like a low level offense, getting pulled over, getting booked, getting printed, going in there, all that, you know, administrative stuff or like the high, you know, the like you said surveying homes bullshit like that stuff should be that those funds should be allocated towards fighting real crime like getting actual harmful drugs off off the street you know and it's just like you think about especially in the, in a in a pandemic where it's uh a a very uh, economically sensitive time right now, and while well, is cannabis legalization going to bring the company out, or the country out of recession? No, I don't think there's any single silver bullet that's going to do so. But it'd be a damn good tool to do so, especially here in New York. And it's like, how much more medical research do we need? Agricultural and agro tourism research and data do we need? How you know how much more economic proof do we need to say, hello, wake <laughs> up, it's time to legalize this? And it's just like I. I don't know what it's going to take you know you're lucky that you know there it's a lot you know po- the politics process seems to be much less of a headache up in alaska as it here is in new york because you know you really can only make in my opinion some true progress if you got a bankroll you know you got companies like Medmen that were coming in and funding governor cuomo's campaign you know before cynthia nixon came on the the platform and and ch- um Ran for governor against Cuomo. He was very much a gateway drug theorist, anti-cannabis. She comes on the platform, says, "I'm going to legalize cannabis." All of a sudden, he's a pro-pot governor, taking money from MedMen to the tune of like 110 to 120 thousand. And it's just like, unless you've got deep pockets in this state, it's really hard to make a lot of progress, especially in this space.
1: Yeah. Well, I, um, you're right. Cause I've been, um, I've been dealing with uh what's it called um Massachusetts um Massachusetts is similar to New York uh when it comes to you know barriers to entry and any type of business aspect um the um the taxes the, I and mean, the only up the only the only good thing about Massachusetts is that they really like their veterans and they they actually have very cool, like a really cool initiative, which is the disenfranchised, uh, um, cannabis license where, um, you get, get, if you're a minority veteran or have been imprisoned for cannabis, you get, you get, uh, pushed to the front of the line on your, on your, uh, license process, which is really cool. Like they're, they're a, um, uh, Expunging people's cannabis uh, charges, and they're allowing them easier access to become a legal cannabis business owner, uh, which is incredible. Um, but it, it, there's, there's, there's big companies like uh, like MedMen. I think it was. Um, I can't believe I forget the name of the company. I'm not even going to say it, but. They were. They were. I was supposed to buy a. Uh, my company was trying to buy a hydroelectric plant, in Western Massachusetts, a 165,000 square foot facility that I was going to have a schoolhouse in for veterans and um, hemp processing. Uh, um, a school for veterans to learn the industry from. From the tender all the way to senior management of man- managing the company, I had an all-star team. Like I mean, it was, and it was incredible, everything was falling into place. We were we get a, we get on a phone call with the owner trying to work out the sales agreement, and the day prior, this this company comes in and says, "Oh, you're selling this. Here's here's a down payment for it. Hold it for us for a little while, right?" They had found out that my company was trying to buy this shit, and they came in, dropped like a couple thousand dollars on like like twenty. I was never told the to number twenty to fifty thousand dollars for them to hold the hold the the building for them to buy it if they don't come into fucking like an in agreement with us. If the owner doesn't come into agreement with us, so we 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 throw out a really really really. Good offer for this for this uh, this, hundred, this huge building that was going to bring 150 150 new jobs to this, this uh, small town in Massachusetts that was dying or still is, um, and be this wonderful part of this, this beautiful community. So the the owner of the, the owner of the building, you know, he's like, well, now I got this this really. Uh, uh, well-connected, big cannabis company that's interested in this building now. I'm going to up the fucking price. I'm going to. I'm going to tell them that uh, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to sell it for anything under two million. Like, no, we're not going. to, We're not doing that. Like, we've been discussing this. We've been having we've been having discussions with you about the price on it. We finally figured it out. We got everything lined up. We got our investors. We got. We got. We got everything. No, no, and we're just like fuck it, fuck you, uh, we're out. And it turns out that company went to all the viable cannabis buildings in the state. Really, I couldn't find one building in Massachusetts that fit the uh, the criteria of, of what we needed, and it shut my company down. Like, yeah, like we haven't done like we're we're we, we're on hiatus, let's just say that. Um, but it, because these motherfuckers, it, because these people are just bullying, bullying people around, it, it, yeah. So, that's something to look out for.
0: you got to laugh, though, you know, like Canopy, for example, right? What are they? The number two? Um, Constellation Brands, which is a big alcohol brand company here in New York, actually, right in Rochester. Um, they are a minority, but substantial owner in canopy growth. Um, And they just announced that, and and nobody, this isn't surprised, but like they've been bleeding revenue for like the last two years, right? Commercial cannabis, especially that scale is not economical, right? The utility costs alone of like a hundred thousand or a hundred thousand plus square foot, you know, cultivation facility coupled with like the lack of, you know, tax incentives of being a cannabis uh, company makes it very hard to be fucking profitable so doesn't canopy growth just announced last week that they're teaming up with martha stewart to launch this full line of what i saw like gourmet cbd isolate products i'm like you know you guys are so out of touch and you wonder why you bleed revenue quarter after quarters because you launch just because you put a celebrity's face on a commoditized cbd isolate it's like it's no question that these companies continue to fail but they got such deep pockets that they can play bully because even if you're a well-established you know small cannabis company like you can't just go and get a loan for a facility like that you literally got to have big many many millions of dollars of cash on hand and I'm sorry just not a lot of companies to do that so I feel your pain brother I mean I feel like that's a, a situation for a lot of these smaller companies
1: Wait, and, and the thing is the thing that, that I realized real quick being, uh, being like I was in the back door of every license that you can you can um, maybe we, we'll go into to uh, my, my, my first company um, we'll start with start that now um, uh, if, finishing that thought you either you either got people that have been growing, um, not uh, growing with the illegal market. Uh, I'm trying to steer away. We're, we're trying to stomp out the the, the black market. Uh, the term black market now, um, which I agree with so the the, um, nah, the 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 illegal market um, for years. So they never had to do payroll or do taxes or or break down costs of uh, per unit to produce. And so these people might be really good at growing. They might grow the, the dankest weed that you've ever seen, but they don't know business. So they have all these um, all these things in place with a – uh, illegal market um, that, that needs to transition to a, the legal tax um, oversight uh, market that it is now because it, it's being looked at with a magnifying under magnifying glass and they'll as good as the growers they are, they'll fail because they don't know business. or we got people with money. That don't know what they're doing, and they're ta- they're they're taking the advice from all these cannabis experts. If you believe somebody that says they're a cannabis expert, just give them the money, save yourself time, and just and just write it off. You know, just just be like, here's. I've heard so many people. I've heard so many instances where somebody's like, "Oh, I'm a I'm a advisor or consultant. My fees." Uh, 250k. These are real numbers right here. 250k, 100 thousand up front. We'll get you going. We'll get your license all this, and they just bounce. They're out. And so once once the people reach out to people that actually know what they're doing, um, they they're they're not trusting. They're not trust They're not trusting of that person because they've been burned so many times. Which is it's expected. Like um, in this one company. I, I, I was one of the first companies. My my business was going to start a consulting in Massachusetts. And dude, first gave somebody 120k. He went and spent it on a festival, and peaced out. Um, another one was like 30 grand up front, or 30 grand like for a three month thing. No, no nothing happened with that. And I went in with. My team, we already had the license written. We had everything. We had everything good to go for this person. We went in to to, to get a contract signed, saying that we're, they they want us to help them with the advising and getting everything uh, started. They declined the offer, and we're just like, they still don't have a license. That was like a year and a half ago. Um, dumped a couple million into it i'm sure they're still dumping millions of it into it now so i will say Uh, what
0: what i'd like to see in like a state legalization program in new york you know they're talking about how all they want to roll out right out or roll out all these different licenses cultivation processing you know for extraction distribution you know logistics licenses they should give out fucking consulting licenses where you have to have some sort of credentials or pass some sort of test because everybody nowadays as a cannabis expert and it's like just because your great uncle jim through th- grew three plants outside of his barn back in the 80s doesn't mean you know a damn thing about this industry and the problem is is there's a lot of sweet talkers especially in new york i, I know people farmers like good friends of mine who are farmers who are sitting on thirty thousand dollars in you know junk seeds or was promised something from a, a consultant who never delivered and all of a sudden it's like there's this we're trying to build this this very nascent in industry but there's a severe lack of trust around the board it's because of exact situations like that self-proclaim excerpts that really don't know a damn thing and you know how do you fix something like that
1: dude so i i had like a dream team together and i couldn't believe like, it's that's the thing it's like so i had rick naya who's the great-grandfather of the hybrid cannabis um rick Naya, he like Gary here like Northern Lights, or, or Acapulco Gold, or um, uh, Gainesville Green. Like he, he's the person that made great Gainesville Green back in uh, the late '80s. Um, he's a geneticist. He, 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 was like the first cannabis hybrid like, person on documentation that that did hybrid cannabis. So There's like the the um, uh, Skunk Number One. And, uh, shit, what was it? So number one and I'm drawing a blank right now, but he's, he's a, well, no, he is a, a pillar of the cannabis community. An um, OG. Not, not OG. what's that? An OG. Oh, he's an OG. I fucking love him. Yeah, we're, we're good friends. So he, he, we had him on the team. We had, uh, the largest cultivators in Alaska who, um, are, they're also good friends of mine. Um. Uh, Sam and Joe Hatchie, they own Town on Herb Company up here, which uh, their Cinderella's and God God's Gift are both two of my favorite strains. They um, they are in the in the pilot program for for a bank up here, uh, a um, credit union. So they're the first people in the world to put cannabis money into a bank legally. Really, uh, they have the largest indoor grow in, in Alaska, and I had. I gave them a part, a piece of the company. I had um, uh, my my lawyer, who, who, my my chief legal officer was, was a is an advisor for a uh, legal advisor for a, a town a, a town in Pennsylvania. He was the advisor for uh, Trenton, New Jersey, for years. So he is a well rounded, yeah. like hardcore lawyer, and like he's one of my best friends' fathers. I grew up with the guy, so I could trust him. You know. And um, then a, a vice president of one of the largest financial firms in the world. Um, and my, my mentor was in the Marine Corps. Or another person that I served with, he, uh, he was my COO. So we had like, a lock-tight team uh, along with the advisor's relations guy. who I was the only one without a master's degree. And uh, that wasn't... That wasn't I don't know, uh, in in the the scales of what these guys. Are. I brought them together, and we fucking we worked great. And that and when we couldn't find a building, it was just like, all right, well, what do we do? And, uh, we we go we go about what we were doing prior, and I'll wait till I find something else. Which I, I am pretty solid in something right now. But so going back to it, um, I. I started working with the the Alaska uh, Cannabis Industry Association, Alaska Marijuana Industry Association up here, and I became very good friends with a company called Good Titrations. Um, they're, they're the three founders, um, Sean Tacky, Brandon, Brandon um, Emmett, and uh, Frank um, They They... Have a manufacturing company up here, um, and it is by far the largest uh, manufacturing company in the state. Um, and Frank, the CEO at the time, he was doing all the runs. He had they had twenty-five, thirty, or nineteen to thirty stops in uh, each week, driving from Fairbanks all the way to the Kenai Peninsula, which. Is um, if you go if you drive out my driveway, and make a left, uh, you'll hit Kenai Peninsula in about eight hours, eight and a half hours, um, straight shot. Um, and with with uh, cannabis being uh, a federally legal substance, and the bank's not allow, allowing you to put their be backed by federal insurance, you know it's all cash, um, along with the Resale value of the, the the product. So Frank was getting really um, worn down with weekly thousand-plus mile drives and driving with hundreds of thousands of dollars and all their product. If they if something were to happen, and him not being a trained professional in security, he, they would have they would have lost everything. You know, um, a, a, a two hundred thousand dollar hit. In cash for uh, for uh, up and coming company is detrimental. I mean, that is, that, that's that's death, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um. Them knowing what I what I did in the past, my security training, like I I'm a certified high risk um, protection specialist, uh, certified weapons personal protection specialist. I've done security details and. Several countries. Uh, my last one was um, for the delivery of a, a yacht that just got put in the water from Phuket, Thailand, to um, the the British Virgin Islands. That was that's a whole other story. But um, so I I'm, I've been doing this stuff for a while, including my my time in service when uh, everything from my infantry uh, leadership to uh, the guard chief of uh, the assistant guard chief of a, a main base, uh, Camp Geiger, the Marine Combat Service Support Schools. Um, so, I enjoy that stuff. I enjoy being able to keep people, protect people, and, and their property, and making sure that um, no one gets hurt. And so they they I was I was in a bad place when they contacted me. I was. I was helping build uh, my first cannabis grow that i was I was a part of um, North Star Fire, which is up it's up and going now, which is awesome. my my brother was a head grower there. Um, and I was it was about this time, uh, shit, uh, four or three years ago, I was living outside. I was living in a pop-up camper because me and my my ex-girlfriend broke up. And I didn't, any, I didn't have any money. I was just I was dumping. I was dumping all my time and effort into this uh, this new facility. We had just bought. Um, it was a five thousand square foot warehouse that me and my dad were working on, and, and her father. And we ended up like. I mean, this building was decrepit. Like we saw – like half of it was a. Um, a rundown garage, like a big garage, five thousand square foot shit. And I we ended up sawzawing the the building in half from the the new build and the old build. And I chained, I, we put chains on our trucks and literally pulled it down with our trucks. Um, so during that, I was living in a little like uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if you know what a pop up camper is, but it's just one of those thin plastic uh, and this time of year i mean it's it's probably it's 40 degrees out right now in, in alaska and within the next two weeks it's going to be freezing and two weeks after that it's going to last last year we had sub sub negative 25 temperatures for over five weeks Jesus. it got down Jesus. below 40 below 40 degrees fahrenheit for like we like a, a week, like maybe like three or four days, and it hovered around like minus thirty for a while. So my life was in danger living in a pop up camper. Um, and like I, I'm like, all right, well, I got to go back. To, I got to go home. I got to go back up, back to Philly. Um, this is this is unsustainable. I'm, I'm screwed. Um, I get a phone call from Frank, and he's like, dude, he's like, I'm done driving. Like. Get in here. We'll help you start. We'll we'll get all the paperwork done. We'll we'll start this company for you. We'll we'll, we'll run it through. We'll, we'll we'll put everything in order and help you get this started because we we need it. We need you to we need you to do this for us. Um, and we did. I was like, right on. When, when who else gets to drive can like this much weed around and deal with this much money and get to go in the back doors and. Every store, like and and it, it was it was a good fit for me. I I started off. Uh, I started with seven hundred dollars in my, my Chevy truck, and uh, I learned all the, the uh, all the rules, all the regulations. Luckily, there wasn't a transportation license that you needed, so any any schmuck could fucking grab a bunch of weed, and as long as their name's on the manifest, um, can drive it for a company. Um, So there wasn't a lot of various entry. Nobody was really doing it. I think there was one girl that was doing these transports. I mean, if anybody's seen uh, Ice Road Truckers, our our road system gets kind of difficult in the winter, and it, it happened to be getting cold and winter time here. Uh, my, my first, my first run, I remember was, uh, black ice for about a hundred miles. And I, the first time I'm doing this and I'm like, shit, like I know the man, like man, the, the, the government's watching me right now with all this shit. Like, cause in these manifests, you had to put exact times, exact route. And, um, you, you gotta hit them or have like a explaining to do. Um, but they, I, I understood what the, what the, the rules were and I executed just like a military operation. The only difference was I was by myself for days. I was by myself driving this, this weed around, uh, weed in cash. It was, it was for the first couple of weeks, it was the scariest thing I've ever done. You know, I, mean, I have like people relying on me. I have like I'm not sure. Like, like I know what it says in the books, but the feds could literally drop a, a helicopter in front of me and arrest me for life with the shit that I have in my car. Um, and so I, I became good at it. I think I started out a lot better than I than I, than I was at, at the end of it, I, but. Um. It was the coolest experience ever and I enjoyed it. And it was my company. I was making good money for myself. Um, like the routine was like Thursday mornings, at you know, four o'clock AM I'd go to, uh, I'd go pick up from, from a cultivator or a manufacturer and take off. And I drive and drive and drive. First, first stop would be 300 miles from my start. Um, and I'd walk in with paperwork, box of, box of weed or concentrates, mainly it was concentrates. Um, cause those are those the guys that, that, paid me the most. They needed it the most. Um, and they, uh, they were great to work with. And it was just walk in, walk in the back, just knock on the back door, big bag of weed, come out with a big bag of money. Um, and I'd have, uh, like I said, up to 35 stops. Um, and it got down to once a company opened up in uh, in Homer, Alaska, which is 502 miles away from, well, I guess it would be 140, 170 miles away from where I am now. 470. Yeah. Um, that was the end stop. And I would drive for 19 hours by myself with all this weed and all this money to get down to the Kenai Peninsula in the first day. And I have like, and I have like sleepovers at a hotel because I couldn't divert from the course. And with hunt, with, like I would, I have a backpack on with four hundred thousand dollars in the back. Jeez. Well, I know you can't put four hundred thousand dollars in twenties in a backpack. So let's say I was halfway through the run, made two hundred thousand. Um, just like going to a restaurant to eat real quick so I can go to sleep for a couple hours before I get on the road again. And like just having all this weed locked up. It it was nuts. It was nuts. But I I did that for for months by myself. Finally picked up some employees. Um, And yeah, it it was, it was such a learning lesson. I mean, it, 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 I went through a couple I, I partnered up with some people on, on, like through there, which I'm not, I'm not the easiest person to work with, especially if I know what I'm doing and somebody's trying to change it. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it let me know what it meant to be an entrepreneur. Um, endless, like sleepless nights worrying about everything because it, it like the the common worker a worker that is not an owner has no idea the risks and the and the liability that some that you hold as a business owner and unless you love what you're doing you find it interesting or and you don't consider it work really you're never going to live up to the potential of what the what that what that could be you know the the the, the it's full potential, um, but at the same time, I could never, I could never work for somebody else besides me because of how, you know, how much of, a, uh, how much effects I could I potentially have because of my my behavioral health issues. Um, that's the only, it's the only real viable option um, that I have to to sustain an income, but, um, yeah, it, it's something else. It's, uh, I, I, I love challenges and it's not for everybody. Um,
0: now, where does what business I, stand today? Where do you doing oh, okay. now? And what's, what's the next two months look like for you? The next six months look like for you.
1: Oh, uh, okay. So, um, right now, uh, yeah, so I'm the, the yeah. development director for, uh, the Alaska Veterans Foundation um, they brought me in to do this project up in North Pole Alaska which is about 45 it's about an hour away from me now it's a so Alaska has the most veterans per capita out of any other any other state in the country and Fairbanks has the most veterans per capita in any, any city in the world wow. um, for US citizens US um, c- cities. I got approached and was asked to head up a project, uh, called, um, it's a veterans village. It started out as a veterans village, um, where we have a 54 acre property up North and we want to put veterans resources, transitional housing, we finally get a, a retirement home in Alaska for veterans. Cause we're the only state that doesn't have one for their veterans. Well, yeah, we're the most populated. um, or, or we don't have a medical. We don't have a medical hospital in Alaska, um, so I'm like, yeah. But I am for it. I will do whatever I can can to help out with that because I had just submitted a a letter to the the school board, which was, hey, I got this idea where we we we, we find out which students want to go into blue collar um, blue collar jobs after high school. Um. Uh, get to see if they want see if uh, we can start a program where we grab those kids, grab the unions, link them up with the respected unions, and have a project where we build these tiny homes. Uh, so these kids get um, real life training before they get out of high school. And the the union workers don't really work that much, in at least in the outside in the winter, you know. So they'll have something to do during the winter, something good. It'll be Enriching to everybody, and then we get these tiny homes and make these little tiny tiny home communities for the homeless that are that are really breaking into like ATM rooms in the winter and sleeping there, like in banks and stuff. And it's just uh, being homeless at negative uh, thirty is is not a great thing, <laughs> you know. Um, even me, like when I was going to leave, it was October, November, and yeah, I was technically homeless at that point for about two months, living in, like, uh, I don't know if anybody wants to consider a pop-up. It's pretty much a tent that I was living in, you know. And, and I, so I, I threw that out there to the school board. They read it in front of the during one of their board meetings, and then this dude, Milt uh, Sawyers, from the Alaska Veterans Foundation, contacted me. So that happened. So we were looking for, I've been working on that. And in the meantime, the project with the um, Western Massachusetts, that, that uh, hydroelectric plant that fell through, um, I was still in contact with the people that were trying to get, they were really um, really pushing us to get this through because the, the city really needed it at that point. Um, we ended up getting, my company ended up getting, their, like, writing a, a very detailed, thorough letter of how we were putting we were going to be uh, making 150 new jobs, blah, blah, blah. And they they uh, ended up, we ended up writing a letter in support for a $2.1 million grant so they could redo, like, some of their their infrastructure that was dilapidated. And they ended up getting it. So we, we came to the good graces of those people that, that actually were like, yeah, like, you knew that you weren't getting anything. You weren't going to benefit from this, but you still helped us out, you know. And I'm glad that we did. So we're still in contact with them. They actually have contacts with um, this lighting company, who I'm so excited to be working with. Um, this Clear Light uh, company. That, uh, one of the, the founders of it, they, they helped with like the energy weapon systems and uh, against the Soviets, and wow. uh, that's neither here nor there. But they're very gifted engineers, and they came up with a next generation LED system that uh, it draws a third of the a third of the, the the pool that most uh, grow lights have now um, and with the L- most LEDs do it's not it's actually not this you know, most most LEDs have that efficiency rate or close to it but the spectrums that they hit for the lights are nowhere near what they are to a High pressure sodium or these lights. Um, so we're working. I'm working with that company on a um, pretty closely, and we're turning the project in North Pole. Where I brought it up to my board of directors to see if we could sustain it by uh, leasing out part of that that property for a, a cannabis grow for veterans, a schoolhouse. To bring veterans from the, throughout the United States, bring them up, teach them how to grow, teach them the industries, their industries respective to the state that they live in, um, make have them be professional growers by the end of that cycle. Because um, it's one thing; like it might take you years to to learn doctrine on all types of stuff, but if you're learning. And working on the project all at the same time, it, it, especially being fully immersed and like living on site, learning how cannabis actually grows, getting to work with with uh, different types of mediums and different systems. Yeah. Um, it, you learn it a lot quicker. You know, it, it's uh, it, it's amazing how, how much you retain when you're fully immersed in, into a project. But along with the, the growing aspect, the business, the uh, how to be a good bud tender, you know, like uh, like what you're expected to do as a as a supply chain manager, um, cultivator, assistant cultivator, uh, even to the, and obviously to the levels of trimmer and and harvester. Um, so we're bringing that aspect over up here to do a proof of concept. Um, And the way that we're doing it is all, we're we're going environmental completely, like as as much as possible. Connex boxes with low light systems, um, everything uh, put into these, I'm calling pods, where you have, each pod will have nine uh, nine uh, 40 foot high cube boxes, you got a uh, six-man team, six-person team of veterans on each three uh, three connexes that are responsible for those grows. Three on the other, and that's one pod. Um, and what we're doing is we're we're training them up, and we're gonna we're gonna sell their the cannabis that they grow. It's gonna be free tuition, free free living for them, and uh, free free uh, instruction and certification. And then we sell the weed that they, we sell the cannabis that they grow to, to fund the next, uh, the next group of veterans and, and fund the rest uh, and, uh, funnel the rest of the, the, uh, capital, uh, the, the sales to the Alaska veterans foundation to, uh, provide money to build the re- retirement home and the resource centers, uh, that's pretty much on site. So it's huge, man. Uh,
0: it sounds like you guys, uh. You've done just, I mean, just, just kind of thinking back from like the first couple minutes of our previous conversation all the way up till now. And just like, I think, you know, you kind of just hit the, the, the nail on the head with like experience just makes everything come together well. And, you know, between having experience, you know, whether it's in the military or having experience hands on the plant with the plant, I just think that the more people we can give this experience, especially in those kind of disproportionately affected and kind of uh, marginalized communities, whether it's, you know, low income farmers or the military community or black and brown communities, I think being able to kind of put this education and these hands on experiences uh, in the right hands is just going to h- foster such a good industry. And um, we, we are coming up on time. Um, I, I want to thank you again so much for giving me a couple of hour, hours of your time, both last time and today. Um, I think people, I know I walked away with this with, the, with a completely different, you know, a very unique perspective. Um, you truly kind of epitomize experience. Um, and I appreciate you, you coming on and, and sharing your story, even uh, a lot of the vulnerabilities that come with it. So um, I really respect the hell out of you and everything that you're doing. Um, I hope we can meet in person one of these days, and I would love to to uh, maybe one day be able to take the initiatives and all this cool stuff that you're doing in Alaska uh, and be able to implement them down here because... Um, I just think that it's going to take an army, you know, uh, a unit to be able to do all this stuff. You know, we really got to come together. And if there's anything that I can do, or any you know people in my network that I can ever you know help you to be able to accomplish what you're doing, I love. To, That's I'd another love to episode of Steve's so, Cannabis Show. Thank you so you much did, again if you for your the first time episode. and uh, this was please the keep us up to Keep me updated on your progress. Uh, and uh, I think we Combat should uh, plan on having a, another conversation in the future. And, and Cannabis. Yeah,
1: yeah. Can I can add one? Two more things, real quick. Just. Oh, the one thing that you could, that you and your viewers can help me out with, like right now, do it. You could do it without any cost to you. Anything else? The only thing it'll cost is, um, you know, making somebody feel better. Um, dude, anytime you have the opportunity to hold a door for somebody, do it. I mean, you go out of your way to be a decent person to somebody around you, and particularly people that don't expect you to be a good person. Or to have that, you could completely change somebody's day, their life, by just saying something nice to them. Yeah. Really, I mean, that is the. I think that would change the world so much. If somebody, if you just, even if you don't feel like it, you could change somebody's life. And if you're going, if you're going to go into business, you're going to do something that takes your time and effort away from your family, like mine does so much. I can't believe. Like I said, I can't believe they, they deal with me, um, but they do. Uh, make sure you have your why, why you're doing it, and never forget it. And uh, it's, I think that's two things that make makes my life a little bit easier to bear is uh, is going out of my way to do stuff for people that I don't expect getting something back from and remembering why I'm doing it.
0: Wise words from a wise man. Pearson Crosby, thanks so much for coming on the show again. You're the man, and I uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future.
1: Yeah, me too. Take care. Thanks a lot. Yeah.
0: And that's another episode of Steve's Cannabis Show. If you didn't if you missed the first episode, this is a two part series uh, with US Marine Combat Veteran, Medical Cannabis Advocate and Cannabis Entrepreneur Pearson Crosby. We'll catch you next week. Thanks.